Welcome, everyone, to the Max Schmarzo podcast. This is technically take two. I normally don't do any edits, but I might be one of the dumbest humans to exist. I was talking into my microphone backwards. Now, for those of you watching the video, it's a Yeti microphone. The way the Yeti microphone works is based on the setting you have it, and you can talk into one side. I mean, it will hear you, but you can do like a dual setting where you can talk into either side and it will hear you. It's just to, I'm not a microphone man, but apparently it's to make the video or the audio quality better. And it sounded really weird. It's like I was talking to a 10 can because I was talking into my microphone backwards. So good job, Max. Thanks for being stupid. So this is a rare time I do a second take. By the way, for those of you interested, the Always an Athlete team has a seven-day free trial. And it's always going on. So you can join the seven-day free trial whenever you feel like, and, and you can see if the program's a good fit for you. And if not, you don't need to continue. That's why we have the seven-day free trial. It's on your Train Heroic app. You can download the app. You can try it out. And again, the team is six days a week. It's typically three main lower body days, two upper body days. A Saturday is a flex day. If you really need to, you can make it four days a week. It's doing Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. We've had people achieve first-time dunks. We've had people who are in their 40s feeling the most athletic they've ever felt. We've had people hit first time 225 pound bench press. We've had 365 pound bench presses. We've had squat PRs. We've had people on the team for over a year plus, which is awesome. People like the team. They enjoy the team. You might like it too. It's about trying to be explosive, getting kind of jacked upper body, training to move better and having some fun and doing those things you like lifting heavy, lifting explosive and getting a mean upper body pump. So if you guys want to check that out, you're more than welcome to seven-day free trial to the Always an Athlete team. Now, let's talk about the topics we have here today. We got three topics. The no topic number one is going to be a little bit about dieting, body fat, and how that affects your performance. Number two, I'm going to be talking about this concept I call power leveraging and how you see it on social media and some of the negatives that go along with it. And number three, speaking about negativity, dealing with negative comments as you might be beginning your social media journey or you might be on already maybe some helpful advice. So let's talk about the quote unquote dieting thing. Now I'll start off with a little bit of an antidote here. I have numerous times tried to get really lean. Typically I try to get really lean because for some reason in my head, if I am like a super low body fat percentage, I envision myself jumping super high and running super fast. Why that's the case. I don't know, but I like to experiment with different things, different training methods. And that's one thing I come back to try and I've done it maybe maybe three times, but twice pretty. No, nah, I've done it three times for sure. Three times, um, maybe four times. And there's some common things that come up and I think we can learn from those and also maybe extrapolate some of the stuff I've observed and the science that backs it into something that might be helpful for you in your training. So when it came to the dieting aspect, and I want to talk about the specifics of what I did, cutting carbs out or cutting fats out the macros. I just want to talk about overeating, Maintenance eating or under eating. So let's define those really quick. Overeating is when you have a slight caloric surplus relative to your current state. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be chronically overeating, but it might be more than what is necessary to maintain your body weight. For simple math, I eat a calorie intake that allows me to sustain 200 pounds. If I want to be 205 pounds, I need to quote unquote overeat relative to maintaining 200 pounds. If I want to drop down to 195 pounds, I need to under eat relative to 200 pounds. So I get to 195. If I want to maintain, I need to eat enough to maintain my body weight. Now, as we know, 
It's not like the most perfect science in the world. If anyone who has dieted before, it's not like it will work and your body weight is most sensitive to a single calorie. There is a bandwidth from which your metabolism might be flexible, certain energetic processes. There is some um, margin for error. Let's just say that there's a standard error in the system. So it's not like, oh, I've eaten one calorie more. I will weigh one calorie more. At least my scale is not sensitive enough to pick that up. So let's talk about the weight loss really quick. I have noticed when I go on a certain weight loss regime, there's a couple things that come up. Number one, the initial weight loss is easy. It's like the first couple of pounds. It'll come off relatively quick. Assuming I'm just not cutting out carbs, it's not just water, a week and a half, two weeks, you will see significant weight loss, assuming you have the weight to actually lose. And that weight loss is sometimes something that uh, is needed or not needed based on your goals. Obviously, that's what we're talking about here. But it, it can almost be fool's gold at times because you think in your head, and this is anecdotal, by the way, we'll get to kind of maybe some of the science in a little bit, but I want to explain this, that I start losing weight. And personally, when I start losing weight, then you kind of get a little bit greedy. You're like, well, this, this weight came off this fast. And I can see the changes in the mirror, even though some of it might be glycogen. In other words, you're losing water weight. So you start to see a little more definition, a little less quote unquote fluff fullness. Um, and you go, okay, I lost a little bit of weight. Now, if I want to lose a bit, a little bit more weight, because we're, I'm a little bit greedy, you might take well a little bit more of an aggressive step. And what happens here is what I've noticed is that your energy levels are not linearly decreasing. They can be maintained at 100% when you're at your normal weight, 100% when you're a couple pounds less, 100% when you're a couple pounds less from there. But then when you start to dip below this certain threshold, and for me, I'm not sure the exact percentage, it's probably in the single percent body fat, you start to see veins maybe um, in areas you haven't seen veins along the side of your abs or something like that, is where you begin to start to feel huge amounts of lethargy. Now, not just huge amounts, but they are large amounts. You start to sleep more, you sleep in more, you want to take naps more often, you think about food more often, you get hungry about food more often, and then you realize this is really silly. Why am I doing this? If I'm doing this for the sake of performance, because I want to run faster and jump higher, I am now jeopardizing my own training in the weight room for the food or for the look in the mirror. And that's what I really want to talk about here. It's the idea that we need to think about food as fuel at times. It's the source, well, at times it is the fuel that we have, um, and how we can leverage that to make sure we perform better. And maybe, again, around this idea of maintenance, surplus, or uh, a little bit of, um, no, what's the opposite of surplus? I'm a deficiency? It's a, uh, a negative energy balance. I'm now lost for words, so I apologize. If it comes to me, I'll bring it back up. So we have right? The surplus, we had a deficit is what I'm thinking of, a maintenance and a deficit caloric loading. When we are in a surplus, we're eating more food, not tons and tons of food, just a slight surplus. There is less likely for that to cause an impact on your performance in the weight room and your performance energy levels, especially when you extrapolate it out over time, than that what would occur if you're eating in a deficit. That's just my observation, my two cents. I'm not a registered dietitian. This is not diet nutritional advice. This is conversational. For me, I've seen with myself 
that if I'm eating a slight surplus or at maintenance, my performance can go up with a slight surplus tends to go up more performance in terms of the amount of total output I can have, the number of sets, reps, times I can work out in a week, my energy levels, my ability to repeat higher outputs is really a lot higher. But if I'm in a deficit, it begins to shrink. My heart rate gets up faster. I begin to fatigue quicker. I can do less sets, less reps, less total volume. Now, in the very, very short term, if we assume that I didn't have, I just had to want to run one single sprint as fast as I could randomly. Well, I suppose being slightly less weight would be fine because I wouldn't have to repeat the efforts. And maybe for a single effort, I would be okay. And I've actually noticed that when I do have a lower weight, I can still perform a single effort. It's not a big issue. But what happens is those repeat efforts. And we're thinking about training and we think about training as the amount of times we're exposed to a specific stimulus then it starts to make sense that, well, if I'm not eating enough food and I'm hindering my ability to be exposed to a specific stimulus, over time, is this affecting my performance, my gains, my ability to adapt? And so it's interesting because you actually might be able to argue, and I'm sure some of you might agree or disagree, that eating a slight surplus from an athletic standpoint, a slight surplus, probably gives you more buffer room during a heavier training cycle than accidentally eating in a deficit. Even it's just a 5% difference in output, which is for myself seems far too small of a difference. It seems like almost like 15 and 20% difference, but a 5% difference in output, having a slight surplus is going to give me a little bit of buffer room because there is research to suggest that being in a deficit isn't always the best for performance. It's not necessarily best for your hormonal milieu, the, your endocrine system, essentially, that you might need for adaptation because it is technically a stressor to be in a deficit. You're trying to build and repair, but at the same time, you're not having enough calories to maintain the current physiological infrastructure. So in my mind, it's thing, I think it makes a little sense to err on that surplus side. So what does that mean for me or an athlete I might be working with in the off season? Well, if we're going to miss our target and we're going, we know we're going to be training really hard and we can either be at maintenance at a slight surplus or a slight deficit, a slight surplus, assuming you're monitoring weight makes sense to me. You might add a couple of pounds of weight that you didn't really want to add. But you also might have added lots and lots of pounds of weight on your lifts, on your performance. You're less likely to accrue fatigue. You're less likely to work yourself into overtraining. And the ability to lose those couple of pounds, say two or three pounds, probably is pretty quick the minute you go back into a slight deficit or back into a caloric intake that reflects the body weight you originally wanted to be. So it's not like, in my opinion, take a step back, it's not like overeating, I'm talking about eating like thousands and thousands of calories more, a slight overeating should be looked at as equal relative to overeating with thousands of calories. There is a wiggle room here that we're talking about a scalar effect of one, two, three, four standard deviations outside of your normal intake of eating and erring on the side of eating a little bit more, at least for myself. And what I've seen in some athletes seems to improve their work capacity. And so if we're in the off season, I see a lot of people try and lose lots of weight in the off season and get in shape. 
And they're so concerned with getting in shape as to what in shape looks like, they actually don't improve the ability to produce force outputs, nor do they improve the ability to perform repeated force outputs, which is essentially the definition of being in shape. Being in shape uh, basically just means you have the ability to express the ability of sport many repeatable times. So a lot of times people just want to get lean and they want to get shredded in the off season. And then you go into the end season and you're already walking a very thin line because you've worked in a caloric deficit all off season to get really lean. Now you're in season. And if you think about your physiological adaptive currency, well, a lot of that has been taken up because you're at a deficit. You don't have as much energy as you had before. And now we're going to take on the largest stressor. That is the season. So should our off season impose excessive unneeded stressors like caloric deficit, assuming that's not necessarily something that's pertinent or extremely needed to the athlete, I think is a very interesting discussion piece. And so to tie it all together nicely, when you think about like a surplus and you think about a maintenance and think about a deficit, in my opinion, airing a little bit high above maintenance in the off season makes total sense, assuming that you're tracking it. Now, I could be totally wrong, and I'd love to have maybe a dietitian on here to, to provide their input, but in my head, it makes a lot of sense. So that's topic number one. Topic number two is a concept I call power leveraging, and you see this on social media, so it's a little bit of change of topic here. Let me give you an example. Power leveraging is when you do something others can't do. I'm going to do an exercise. I'm going to eat a certain way. I'm going to live a certain way. That is atypical, not normal. So that gets the attention. Wow, what is that? What's going on there, right? It piques your intrigue, your curiosity. Number two aspect of power leveraging is now that you do something others can't, you claim it is significant in some way. You don't provide any evidence that is significant. Typically, it's anecdotal evidence. It's not studies. It's not research. It's basically your own opinion as to why what you do that is different than others is different. I mean, is superior. So you claim significance. So you've created one scarcity. You do something that's atypical. Two, you have proclamated superiority of what is atypical. And then you leverage the fact that you can do thing, this one thing and others can't. So you say, look, I do this one thing. I do this one thing. And this one thing makes me superior, whatever way. And look, other people can't do that one thing. And by the way, Anecdotally, it makes me feel amazing. You've created scarcity and you've created some sort of uh, novelty, but you also created some air of superiority, which then people are now inclined to try and follow. And the key is you never actually prove this one thing actually matters. And you keep telling people it's important. So it's kind of those four steps, right? Person does something really atypical. They claim this thing is extremely significant. They leverage the fact that, you, that they can do it and others can't. They never actually prove that whatever they're doing is what matters. And then they keep reminding you about this one thing. Having this in mind, it's going to change how you look at social media because you're going to see this time and time again. And this is typically people's playbook. They want to make something. Um, it's not always extremely sustainable. Well, boy, is it a massive flash in the pan. I'm not sure how long it lasts, maybe years, maybe weeks. But this thing is typically done and as someone who's trying to navigate through social media to try and see what is important, what is useful, it's not about listening to the person, but it's about you breaking down what the person's doing and trying to 
think about what's going on there. And there's a great example of this, what you can use. If you spend more time trying to justify the person's methods than they do providing evidence to their methods, there might be an issue there. Think about how many times we see people who are popular on social media in the world. This isn't just a social media thing. I mean, social media as a whole, that where they say things and do things and they don't really provide much evidence, but then you spend a lot of time trying to justify what they say. And that's a really interesting topic of conversation, but something we as consumers of information can use. Do I spend lots of time trying to justify someone else or do they provide evidence that I think accumulates a good argument. And therefore, when I look at it, I support their argument because of the evidence they provided. I call that power leveraging. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it's something to be aware of. And people do it quite a bit, again, to quote unquote, get power over you because they are doing something that you can't. And then they're trying to ooh and ah you with it. And you see this time and time again, across many different professions and strength conditioning. It's quite common in since I've been around this industry, you've seen things like this come up time and time again, and just be wary of it. So topic number three, dealing with negative comments. Now, I know I want to provide a little bit of social media advice, creative thought, whatever. And a lot of time, last podcast, I talked about how you don't want to limit yourself. But what happens is as you grow, you're going to grow large enough to get negative comments. People won't like your stuff. And often they won't like your stuff for no apparent reason. They might read it and they find it somehow offensive because that's not how they like to do things or they find it disagreeable or they're jealous, they're envious. Whatever a reason is, you might have a negative comment. And that's just normal. But a lot of times when you first get those negative comments, it makes you feel horrible. You get a pit in your stomach. You feel sick to your stomach. It consumes you. You don't like people telling you something negative. And I've been there. I've been on the other end of that. I've read a negative comment. It's ruined my day. I'll be honest with you. I've had a lot of people say mean things to me on social media for no reason at all. And it's made me upset. It's made me sad. It's made me disheartened. It made me want to quit social media at times. But then you realize that two things. One, your content, first off, you don't know if that person actually means it. It's not a person saying it to your face. That's number one. Number two, is that you don't have to read that comment. You don't have to ingest it. You don't have to take it in and you know dive into it. You, you can let it be. You can just ignore it. Put your phone down. Number three is you can reflect on, wow, I have thousands of people who like my stuff. One person who dislikes it, based on statistics, they are an anomaly. They are not the common trend. So just by sheer statistics, someone's going to dislike your stuff. And if it's not very common, it's merely noise in the system. Their opinion means nothing. It's not like it's actually what you're doing is negative. And then you could also have some fun with it. Lately, I boo people. I give them a thumbs down because if you're going to just comment on me and throw shade at me, I'm, I'm allowed to give you a thumbs down and boo your bad comment right back because I think it's kind of funny. I used to get upset about that stuff. I don't get upset about it anymore. I just think it's... Uh, you know, if they want to have some, throw some shade, I guess they're trying to do whatever. They get to have a thumbs down boo as well, because I think it is kind of rude that you can just call someone out randomly and then kind of be whatever, but you can do something kind of um, 
I don't know, respectfully uh, dislike it. So a thumbs down is not going to be too rude of a situation. I do avoid having combative conversations on social media because it's not really worth my time of day. Um, But the negative comments are a thing and how you want to handle them is up to you. But not letting them deter you from what you're trying to accomplish is really important. People, like I say, if you got haters, you're doing things correctly. So people dislike your stuff to a certain extent. It must mean you're making enough of a noise that people are reading it. So you get to the point where statistically speaking, it's not just people who like your stuff, but people who dislike your stuff who bump into your stuff as well. So it can actually be a positive sign that you have enough reach on your platform to have certain things. So keep that in mind because it is weird. It is difficult and it is unfortunate because it can deter you. And I would be lying to you if I said it didn't upset me at times when I got negative comments. And it wouldn't, you know, every now and then you get something here or there that's kind of upsetting and it's just the nature of the beast. But being online, you're kind of accepting that, that there is a little bit of a wild, wild west of making these posts. And when you make a post, someone has the freedom to comment on that post. And with that being said, you should take that with a grain of salt and consider it within context of the situation. So do your best to not let it deter you, upset you and kind of turn you down. Maybe you can have some fun with it. Like I said, I'm now, and I used to kind of ignore them, but I think it's kind of funny. It makes me laugh to give them a thumbs down and boo them because I think it's kind of a silly way. I think, I think you deserve a boo if you're just going to say mean comments that aren't constructive. Because again, it's not like, hopefully you're not doing this. Your posts are not intentionally combative and they're not intentionally creating turmoil and angst amongst the topic. Um, it's your opinion. You're not calling people out in it. And that's a good way to go about it to make sure that you're not going to have extremely combative posts. Rather than the day, it's your page. So you do what you want to do. I um, just wanted to share that with you all. Hopefully that's helpful. It's a little bit of dieting, a little bit of uh, dealing with some negative comments and obviously the power leveraging thing that I found interesting. And our next video, I'm going to be talking a little bit about plyometrics. I know you guys are itching for that. Some of the issues I see with plyometrics, I'm going to be talking a little bit about that time I cut out coffee because it's an interesting one. I got into social media and I heard people cutting out coffee. I wanted to try a week without caffeine, turned to a month and a half. I didn't like it. It wasn't fun. I'll tell you about it. But it wasn't because of missing out on caffeine. There's something different happened in there that I didn't really enjoy. Um, and then we'll add some other stuff as well regards to training and a little bit of stuff in between. So I just take notes throughout my day, um, ideas that come to mind, topics I want to talk about. But who knows? Maybe we just end up talking about basketball next week. But my guess is at least two of those we covered the plyometrics, coffee, and one more topic to come up. I appreciate you guys as always. Thank you for sharing this stuff, watching it, downloading it. I appreciate you. Take care and peace out.